Good morning, y'all. My name is uh, Andrew, and as uh, Evan said multiple times, I'm one of the elders here at Midtown. And I wasn't making fun of him. Uh, that congregational meeting is so important because when I was getting voted in, and when they were like, we have to have a certain amount of votes from members. And it wasn't really hyped up that much beforehand of how important it is. And so they were literally sending out texts to members saying, can you come because we don't have enough votes right now to get Andrew <laughs> as an elder. So I'm an elder by this much. I just got in and that's why I'm up here now giving the word. Um, but yeah, it's really important. So if you're an elder, we're trying to really make a, a point of, of calling. If you're a member, we're trying to make a call um, to get y'all out there and to see all the other members and to celebrate what God's doing at Midtown. So please come to that. Um, but yeah, this morning I get the privilege of bringing the word uh, to continue this conversation that we've been having over the last few weeks here during the summer, the series that we're calling Apprenticing the Master. And we've been learning and meditating on what it means to be an apprentice. We're talking about how an apprentice means to, we aspire to be like that person, uh, the person that we're apprenticing. We take on their mannerisms, we talk like they talk, we go where they go, and we try to do what they do. And as I've been meditating on this, I'm just realizing how much of a humble position it is to become an apprentice. In effect, it's looking at this person and saying, you know how to live life better than I do in this area, so I'm going to try to set aside what I think is best, and I'm gonna to try to follow you and do what you call me into. Um, and so for those of us who call ourselves Christians, or maybe you're exploring what it means to follow Christ, this is what we're saying about our entire lives when it comes to this guy, Jesus. We're saying to him, you know how to live life to its fullest, Jesus. So I'm going to try, at least, to set aside what I think is right, what I think is best. I'm going to try to submit myself and learn from you. And so that's what we've been doing the last several weeks uh, throughout this summer. We've talked about, if you haven't listened to these sermons, I, I highly recommend you get on the podcast and listen to them. We've been talking about following Jesus in meditation, in prayer, in solitude, generosity. Last week, Jonathan Nash talked about anger. And this week, <laughs> I get to talk about a topic that... Frankly, I'm not super stoked <laughs> to, to dive into because it's a heavy one. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of baggage that can come with it, a lot of feelings, emotions, we all have a history with it, but that's why it's so important that we submit this to Jesus and talk about it. Uh, we're gonna be talking about submitting our sexual lives to Jesus. Uh, we're talking about living sexually pure lives as we, as we follow him. So, um, with that, I'm going to invite, I believe it's, who's, Corey, are you reading the scripture? There she is. Awesome. Corey's going to come up, read the, today's passage, and I want to challenge us to at least for the next, however long I speak here, <laughs> to, to try to listen with fresh ears, um, with ears that are eager to hear a new word from our master, uh, whatever things that are kind of stirring up in you already, and to remember that this isn't just a a message or a word for those who are single. It's for those who are single and trying to live a celibate life. It's for those who are engaged, those who are married, those who have been married for 10 years, 20 years. Um, it's for all of us. Um, and so with that, take it away, Corey. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's a hard one to say thanks be to God. (laughs) Um, Father, please speak to us this morning. Speak through me. Give me words to say that are from you. Uh, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Soften our hearts where they're hardened. Um, Make us, lead us into being more like your son, Jesus. And uh, Lord, may your grace and your mercy just wash over us um, this morning and then the week to come. Amen. Um, sometimes when a passage like that gets read, I can, maybe I get too in my head about this, but sometimes I'm like, those who invited people to come this morning or who's visiting, it's like on all weeks <laughs> that I came here. Um, but y'all, this is what we trust Jesus. We trust the Lord that we're here for a purpose and we're, I'm given this word for a purpose and those who are in this room are here for a purpose. So let's dive in. Uh, The passage that we're talking about, it comes in the middle, not even the middle, towards the beginning of a sermon, one of Jesus' most popular sermons called Sermon on the Mount. Um, And the whole deal is that Jesus' popularity has grown and people are coming from all over Israel to be healed by him, to hear his teaching. And with all these crowds of people following him, he takes this opportunity to teach them about what the kingdom he's ushering in it the kingdom of heaven, as he would call it, looks like, and what those who are going to be part of the kingdom look like and act like. And so as the Messiah, as God in flesh, this means he's teaching us, those who are coming to listen to him, what it looks like to be his apprentice, what it looks like to follow in his ways. And the, the sermon is rapid fire, if you've read through it. I mean, even just now, there was it's just three verses right there, and then he begins moving on. Uh, but he begins this teaching with the words, you have heard it said. And he's referring to how Israel, Israelites, those in that area, grew up hearing and learning about this thing called the law. And it was the commands passed down by God to teach his people about how they were supposed to act as his people. And at the passage at hand, he's talking about probably the most famous commands that we've heard of, which are the, the Ten Commandments. And this is number seven, which is, you shall not commit adultery. And it, If you grew up like me, uh, or hearing the Ten Commandments, it can be super, or just to hear a word like law or commandments, it's it's so tempting to hear those as a list that we need to work through, a checklist that we need to work through. That if we can go down and check the boxes on each one of these commands, then we're on God's good side. That if you can't check a box, well then you've got some work to do before you get into his good graces. And when this is the case, God becomes a strict teacher or he's a parent that, you know, you've broken the rules and now you need to pay the price or pay some penance before you can get into God's good graces again. God's commandments in this situation become a measure against which we're trying to gauge our relationship with him, that they're telling us how to be a good Christian or just how not to get in trouble with God. It becomes like this line in the sand that we're trying to point to and say, well, as long as I don't cross this line, then God and I are good. As long as I don't cross whatever this thing is, God and I are on good terms. And 
I know many of us, myself included, have thought about this when it comes to our sexuality. Our sexuality becomes a set of rules handed down by God or people God's put over us, like pastors or teachers or parents, to make sure that we don't cross the line and disappoint God or make him angry at us. But for some reason, there's something in us that just wants to toe that line, to figure out how far is too far. And that's when we start asking questions like, well, as long as I don't sleep with him or her, or as long as I don't stare too long at that person, as long as I don't act on my impulse, as long as you, don't, you, you can fill in the blank, we're good, right? A pastor, I was thinking about this and trying to think about what we could compare this to, and I remember from like high school, a sermon I, I listened to from a guy named Andy Stanley, who's a brilliant communicator, but he pointed out the, this fallibility in the law, um, and, he, and he was quoted saying, a law simply draws a line as to how selfish we can be. And he used it in comparison, he used a bunch of examples, but one big one was using it around laws and how we drive cars. That the law tells us simply how fast we can drive before it's reckless, or how much alcohol we can drink before it's dangerous when we get in that vehicle. And when it comes to our sexuality, we'll hear a command like, do not commit adultery, and begin asking questions, well, well what co constitutes adultery, or when is it considered sex? Or what if it just stays in my thought life? And when we're asking these questions, the law has now become a means to an end, and that end is that God and I are good as long as I don't do X, Y, Z. But if we just take a second and actually meditate on that and reflect on that, and to be honest with ourselves when we're looking at our sexual lives that way, we know that it's an impossible task. Because when we believe that good works or doing the right thing is going to get us into God's grace, it's never going to be enough. Because the, the good works will never end. There's never enough to get us in there. And Jesus knows this because he's the master. He's God in flesh. He knows this. He knows our hearts, and he knows the way that we think about sex. And so he reveals in this passage that the bar is so much higher than we ever imagined, that we crossed the line before we even knew what the line was. He's saying, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Now, it's so tempting to hear that new, you know, that new rule and to say, oh, that's the new bar, that's the new line to avoid, that's the new rule, I, I just can't look. And to take that as just another rule to follow. But he's not doing that. He's not giving you more rules to follow. He's not setting a standard so high that he can just watch you squirm as you try to reach it, or that you throw up your hands and just defeat that you'll never be able to, to make it. He's doing it to make a point. He's stirring in us a new question of how is it possible to reach this standard that he's setting. He's saying this to shatter our understandings of why the law exists, why these rules exist, and to give us a new vision for our sexuality, a new foundation upon which it can rest, one that doesn't shift with the morality of every culture and every generation. We need objective truth that does not change when it comes to our sex lives. And where can this truth be found? Well, Jesus, you know, 
moves right on to the next topic, but later on in the, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22, Jesus is asked what the, the greatest of all the commandments are. And he responds, you might be familiar with this one. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. He's saying all of the law is fulfilled when we attempt to live our lives as those who love God and love others. And so take that to our sexual lives. On these two laws, the love of God and others, we need to build our sexual ethic. And I was trying to think again of how to like picture this and just this kind of a silly image, but if you just imagine like love as this brick (laughs) and our sexuality as this fickle paper-like bridge underneath it, when love sits on top of that, it will buckle the law because the law can't support it. Following rules cannot support love. But when the law or our sexuality rests on top of love, when it's supported by it, it finds the stability it needs to flourish. It becomes one of the many means by which we demonstrate our love of God and others. And then we start to believe and begin to understand that the law was never meant to just be a rule book that we could follow, because a law, a rule book, will never change our hearts. But rather, the focus is how the law reflects what a changed heart looks like, what a changed heart acts like. And so when the love of God and his people people that bear his image is the focus of our sexuality, the questions change from like what is considered adultery to how do I honor God and love God through my sexuality? And with this question, the answer is not a simple, don't commit adultery, yes, no. It becomes an open-ended answer that's gonna permeate all of our lives throughout our entire stage of life. Whether it's, again, whether it's we're called to singleness for the rest of our lives, to marriage, whatever it is. But why is this so hard to believe and to act on? Why are we still plagued by setting habits that we hate? Why can't we just change our desires by sheer willpower? If you're anything like me, I I spent so much time in high school and in college going through the whole purity culture, and it just was always do better like, you have the strength, with you, and God's good, he's going to help you, but you got to pull up your boots, and you'll be able to overcome it. Why does that not work? Well, well, first and foremost, it's because we live in a broken and marred world by sin, and that sin dwells within us. So what God made as a good and life-giving gift has been broken and now distorted, And now we wrestle with the brokenness inside of us and against an enemy who is actively working against us. He's he's blowing on the embers of sin, trying to stoke a fire of just unrestrained passion and desire that has the power to consume us. And in the passage at hand, Jesus calls this tool, this unrestrained desire, this misplaced desire, he calls it lust. And I was thinking, well, what is lust now? Lust is the desire that has spoiled or passion that has turned sour. Uh, Lust is the heat applied to the water of our sexuality that the enemy stokes. And when it's unchecked or unhindered, these, um, these thoughts of the mind that we're not reeling in, 
and taken in by our sensory parts like our eyes and our ears and our touch. They have the power to boil over into the physical words and actions. They have the power to burn, destroy, or even kill. It takes what was meant for loving others and it makes it about loving self. Lust is sin, and sin is not simply something you do wrong by breaking a rule. It is a cancer that when unchecked wants to kill you in this life and in the next. And that's why Jesus takes it so seriously. That's why we read a passage like that and we feel the weight of it. And I know we have experienced this pain sin causes when it comes to our sexuality. I know I have. It has the ability to turn something that was literally designed for human creation and flourishing and make it hell on earth when it's distorted. As the power to destroy relationships, create lifelong scars, to create intense trauma. In Genesis 4, back in the beginning, God compares sin to an animal that is crouching at the door and whose desire is against you. That he's trying to, the sin is convincing you, trying to convince you to open up this door so that it can come in and devour you. So how does sin do this? How does the enemy use sin in this way? Well, he uses the same means of deception that he's used since the beginning in the garden. He begins whispering lies into our ears and telling us what God is really like. He tells us that God's been holding out on us what we truly desire and is what is really good for us. The enemy tells us that God's rules are a cruel means to keep us unhappy and unfulfilled. After all, why would he even give us these laws if they weren't for, if, why would he give us these desires if they weren't, for, weren't good? Many of us know these lies, and I know many of us, including myself, have felt them deeply, and they feel so strong. Maybe you've heard that he's calling you, you felt that lie whispering in your ear that you can call that ex-boyfriend or that ex-girlfriend, and that they'll treat you differently this time, even though they left you completely feeling used and abused after you gave yourself to them. He's telling you that you can knock on that person's door who always told you that they'd be available when you called them. He's telling you it's okay, he's calling us, that it's okay to scroll through these websites without any consequences. He's telling us that to live this life without sex is to actually live a diminished life. That if we were to get married, then all this temptation would go away and we wouldn't deal with this anymore. That finally we would be satisfied in this area. Or now that we are married, that there's something wrong with us if you're actually still feeling that temptation. Or even worse, there's something wrong with your spouse if you're still feeling that temptation. Ultimately, the enemy is telling us that there's life on the other side of this door and that if we would just listen to him, if we would just crack it open, we'd find what we've always been searching for. But here's the thing, his promises never deliver. And we know this and we've experienced it. Deep down, we know the emptiness we've felt after giving, our, giving ourselves to our unrestrained desires. Yet somehow we keep thinking that it will be different next time. And it's because our desires are misplaced. Our desires are tainted by sin and they become founded on a love of self rather than a love of God and for others. So where is the hope here? I know that's all really heavy and it's a lot. And Paul would agree. 
Paul in, uh, I think it's Romans, I should know this, but in the book of Romans, he says, uh, who will save us from this bodies, these bodies of death, these bodies tainted and tempted by sin? And his very next words are, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need to turn our eyes from inward and start looking at the person who's delivering this teaching that we just read through. The same one who's raising the bar of what it means to fulfill the law is the only one who kept it perfectly. We cannot keep the law perfectly. We cannot love God and others perfectly. But we are apprenticing and following the one who can and the one who does. The one in whom the fullness of God dwells, untainted by sin, who demonstrated what it looks like to live life to its fullest, and he did so as a single celibate human. He was tempted and tried just as we are, but he was so filled with the power, life, and promises of God that he overcame the lies of the enemy, lies telling him to live for himself, and he freely gave his life away, emptying himself to the point of death for the sake of others. So Jesus gives us the picture of what it looks like to love God and love others perfectly. It looks like dying to self giving up one's life for the sake of others. And we can't do this on our own strength. We talked about that. We can't muster up enough willpower if we are to battle the sexual sin that dwells in our hearts. We need to be filled with life greater than anything this world has to offer. We need to be filled with the life of Jesus. And the best news that you will hear this morning or on this side of heaven is that that life is available to you today right here and right now. All that is required to come to him, as Matt was talking earlier, with a surrendered heart, with our need, and with open hands saying, Jesus, I've tried living life on my own terms, and it's not working. I've tried to live by my own sexual ethic, and I'm being mastered by my own body. I've seen where this leads, and I need you to intervene. So take my life and make it yours. Teach me what it looks like. Become an apprentice of Jesus and follow him as he calls you. And so for those of us who do that, who surrender our lives to him, the fullness of life that Jesus talks about and is offering is yours now. The law, these rules no longer have any power over you because it has been fulfilled on your behalf. So it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. But why don't we always feel that? And it's because sin still remains in our members, and it will until we enter into glory. And so we will wrestle and we will struggle on this side of heaven. But we don't struggle as those alone. We struggle as those filled with the Holy Spirit, not under condemnation, but under the love of God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus states very bluntly that the stakes are very high because sin has very real consequences in this life. And he tells us that the battle is worth fighting and that it will be costly, that it's worth losing limbs for, that it's better to walk through life with a limp than it is to give in to our unrestrained desires. And so practically, I don't know what this means for you, and this will be part of the meditation going into the week, but that might mean cutting off something or someone in your life that you think is just so important or that you cannot live without. 
It might be, mean finding accountability with someone that loves God and loves you so much that, that you can expose the darkness, things that have lived in the dark your entire life to them and bring them to light. This is what it means to grow and mature in Christ, being pushed, being molded, being bent into the image of Jesus. This is what apprenticeship looks like. But when we fail, because we will fail this week and the next, we no longer fall into this bottomless pit of guilt and shame and despair that the law created for us, but now we fall into the grace, the love, and the mercy of the one who gave his life for us and who will sustain us until the end, until the kingdom of heaven is brought here in full on earth, when sin is eradicated once and for all, and where all of our desires are finally fulfilled when we look Jesus in the face. So I'm gonna pray for us. Father, thank you for being gracious to us. Lord, whatever is stirring in our hearts right now, I pray that we would give it to you. That we wouldn't try to hide it or shove it down, uh, but we would say it to you. That we would hand it to you, Lord. That we would reveal our neediness for you. And Lord, would you meet us there with your grace as you already have. Would we feel your grace and your mercy and your love towards us? Would you mold our hearts more to be like Jesus? Would you teach us what it looks like to love you and to love others in our sexual lives? We lift all these things up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Jess and Nilka are going to lead us in some worship, and we're going to take a couple moments. If you've, again, been here, we have these prompts every week that we're going through. And these prompts are meant to be a springboard to bring you to your master's feet as an apprentice and to speak to him and ask him what he's, what he's stirring in you and to reveal that. So uh, the prompt is up here. And uh, in these next couple minutes, you can go to prayer and start this. Um, I highly recommend taking some time this week uh, to sit with the Lord and to hold out to him your sexuality. That's him calling, whoever that is. <laughs> he's asking you. <laughs> That's, um, Hold out to him your sexuality. Confess to him your desires, your temptations, your feelings, all of it. He knows it all anyway, so y'all don't have anything to hide. Ask him to take your life in exchange for his and to teach you what it means to love others when it comes to your sexuality. Listen to him, submit to him. What is he calling you into? What is he bringing to mind if there's a person, a situation, whatever it is? Whatever that he brings your mind to is probably where you need to go. What is he asking you to give up? Trust him in it and you'll find life.